0: this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're
1: listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hey everybody, Matt and Duck here, and we're excited to share that we are taking over the No Meat Athlete Radio feed for the next eight days straight for our Plantapalooza online festival with compliment where May 23rd through 30th, we're dropping new discussions with plant-based doctors, registered dietitians, best-selling authors, weight loss experts, and thought leaders, plus a wide range of resources on the Compliment website. But more than just the content, Plantapalooza is also our biggest sale ever on Compliment's nutrient solutions, superfood greens, organic protein powders, and more. Right now, you can get up to 50% off site-wide, including my personal favorites, Compliment Essential, The Multinutrient, Daily Greens, and Hydrate. We've got a little bit of overlap there, Doug. Mine is certainly the Compliment Essential, but then followed closely by Omega Complex and Compliment Protein. Right on, it's all up to 50% off. Compliment products are optimized for plant-based eaters and backed by a 100% 100 day money back guarantee. Go to lovecompliment.com to take advantage of these offers and to check out all the rest of the content, lovecompliment.com. But don't wait, the sale ends May 30th. And with that, let's get to the interview.
2: Dahlia and James Marin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You two, of course, are Married to Health, um, one of my favorite names uh, for any organization that I've been able to work with because you are both married and also married to your jobs because it's kind of part of who you are. And it's just it's so cool that you guys get to work together. And, and obviously, I'm very grateful for you to share a little bit of your wisdom and tips and tricks on gut health. Because you guys are two GI experts, so thank you and, and welcome. Thank
0: Thanks you for so much. This. We're excited to talk about this.
2: Um, so just real quick, because I, I want to pack a lot of practical, like I say, tips and tricks for our community, because gut mm-hmm. health is so so important. But I also want them to get to know you just a little bit. Um, so maybe we could just start with. What was the origin story for married to health? How did you guys like just look at each other one day and say, "Hey, maybe maybe we won't kill each other if we're working together every single day, and <laughs> let's let's go for it." Just tell us a little bit about yourself and how we came to be here today. Let me dispel that first myth. Uh, Dolly wants to kill me almost every day, and <laughs> I'm. No,
3: not every day. Not every day. No, but. No, we have yeah, we have a healthy work life balance. That's that's definitely part of the of the a lot of the efforts we put into it for sure. But the origin, I'll say really came. I mean, I'll say this really quickly is the origin really just came out of a need, right? Um, really we we made Married to Health the practice and the brand and and what it is today out of a need as us being dietitians, newly dietitians about 10 years ago, and then going, wow, where are we going to now change the world? And As we started to work nine to five jobs, I started in public health, Dahlia started in in more of a community clinic setting, and it was like, okay, wow, there's so much red tape and there's so much kind of just reductionist thinking and short-sightedness. And where's that integration, right? Where are we connecting nutrition and food to a lot of the chronic disease we're seeing? And we just didn't really see that. So along the way, we're like, we need to do our own thing. We need to develop our own we didn't know it'd be what it is today but we're like let's just start some social media and start educating and it just grew from there
0: and i always like to say i feel like my goal and one of my northern stars is to become the dietitian i needed um you know i feel like People assume that James and I have just always been healthy because our life is now now married to health, and that is certainly not the case. We both grew up with you know standard American diets and standard American health issues. Um, by the time I was 17, I was diagnosed with a handful of diseases, including non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. High, I had high cholesterol. I was pre-diabetic. I had an autoimmune thyroid condition, polycystic ovarian syndrome, IBS. You name it. And kind of as the average American is told, I was just told to take medication. I was given three prescriptions and sent on my way. Not a word was mentioned about changing my lifestyle, looking into nutrition to reduce inflammation and bring down my insulin resistance. And so I kind of knew that wasn't the path that I wanted to take for my life. No hate on medication. You know, I I have to take medication for my thyroid every day, but I knew I didn't want to live with a pharmacy that I was walking around with. So I just started researching lifestyle changes and nutrition and for myself and then fell so in love with it that I knew it was my passion to help other people do the same. And As I said, I just try to be that dietitian that I needed at that time, someone who's accessible and integrative and as knowledgeable as possible. That's awesome.
2: So um, obviously, as dietitians, you could have chosen any number of directions to go, right? I mean, sports dietitians, you know, there's obviously um, no shortage of needs you guys from a pretty early stage, I think kind of zeroed in on gut health. Um, and you think all dietitians are, are gut health, right. Oriented, but, but I think you guys take it to another level. And that's why I say like, no, I mean, there's, there's those who work with athletes. uh, Those who are more culinary in their practice, right? Like, and, and you guys really, really go deep. Um, and we have spent some time going deep and hopefully I have an opportunity to to share uh, somehow through links, and that. I don't know how this is going to be published, but you and I did a um, uh, uh, really deep dive into gut health and all things gut health. Where did that passion come from? When at what point did you say like, "Hey, we want to be the people who hang the GI Track artwork on our walls"? Yeah, <laughs> For those who are listening, maybe not watching, they literally have it's 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 actually the most beautiful Art. the most beautiful <laughs> rendering of the GI track I've ever seen because it's not exactly the prettiest organ and not to say any of them are but but those are really pretty um so tell me where, where did the interest or where did the expertise because you guys were ahead of the curve before you know gut health blew up in popularity and importance like did you guys just know that it was that important way before everybody else
3: well, well, I'll just say, first and foremost, it's funny because we, like, I've always been so into the environment, and I was like, man, the environment, and that's where I I really took the lead on, on then, now I call myself an environmental nutritionist, and I, I've been so, so into the environment, and still into other health and nutrition aspects, but the environment has always been a love, and then, and yeah, so when we we're first starting out, I love the environment, that's why I went to public health, and I was like, we just got, we need policy, we're going to merge environment, nutrition's going to be great, so much red tape didn't really work out. Dahlia has always been just, just really a science nerd and and she loved just so much of the science and just helping her patients. Along that way in the reading, we we found gut health and thanks to different colleagues and, and influences, we really, really fell in love with gut health.
0: And I think on our personal journeys, we were already plant-based. So we've been plant-based now for 12 years. And so personally, we were plant-based and then in our jobs, we were going and we're like, well, our population's not plant-based, but Mm -hmm. we kept trying to find kind of where we could help prevent the most disease or where most disease was coming from. So first, you know, we worked in public health and community setting. And then I went to pediatrics because I was like, well, that's the beginning. It must all start there. And still, you know, it wasn't hitting with the community. So then I was like, okay, I need to learn more integrative and functional nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I did. And it kept pointing me towards gut health. So I was like, this is great. And I think this is valuable knowledge and it's all pointing me towards the gut. And so it was, you know, six years ago, we really started diving deeper and really understood the gut was where it was all at. I know James likes to always say the gut is the nexus of all health because we do know The gut communicates to all of our other organs, whether that's your brain, your heart, your lungs, your pancreas, your liver, your gallbladder. And so if you can really, really hone in on what's going on in the gut or really nurture what's going on in the gut, then that can then flourish the rest of your health. And so I think just being plant-based really was what set us off in that trajectory and really helped us understand inflammation and chronic disease. And then we kept wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper and that was the gut.
3: And it even hit on the environmental side because then come to find out with this, especially with the newer research, like, oh, our gut or like soil is actually the most, one of the most diverse ecosystems on the planet. The soil, like the soil in your backyard, not the Amazon, not the Great Barrier Reef. It, it's the soil in your backyard. Those microbes in that soil are more diverse than the Amazon rainforest, which is crazy. And then come to find out then our gut microbiome we say is the most important ecosystem that can shape the rest of this planet. And we are getting this diversity from our environment, from that soil, from the food we eat, from the air we breathe. So it really just connected. The gut was this connector. And that's why we do call it the nexus. It's where everything passes through, pun intended.
0: Mm-hmm. And around that time, I think when we were already plant-based. And again, we were plant-based before it was cool to be plant-based. We were starting to hear more people say, I have to stop being plant-based because of my gut health. I got diagnosed with this thing called SIBO at that time. Not a lot of people were talking about SIBO. It was kind of still taboo to talk about your gut health and gut function, but we were, we knew, okay, this doesn't make sense that someone going plant-based would cause them to have gut issues. So we just wanted to learn more. Why was that happening? And sure enough, we were coming to find their gut health issues were there and plant-based and eating more fiber really showed the symptoms. It kind of revealed them, but we knew that we wanted to create a way for people to remain plant-based and nourish their gut health and really fix what was going on with their gut or prevent gut issues.
2: Awesome. And now let's tie it together between plant-based and gut health and and specifically um why is a plant-based diet so beneficial for gut health?
3: Yeah I mean we could start out with the stat of 95% of Americans aren't even reaching the recommended fiber 97%. intake. 97? Okay, 95, 97, probably more. Let's say 90. <laughs> it's getting, <laughs>
2: it's getting worse, worse by the day. <laughs> by the day.
3: Honestly, I, I feel like I just looked this up and then maybe Dahlia even looked it up and it's 97. So it's like yeah, it, it's, it's insane. And even that amount of fiber that is recommended by the USDA and, and the WHO, what they're all agreeing on, is not that much. I mean, when we track the fiber we're eating as plant-based, we're in like the upper 60s, uh, 70s. Uh, recommendation is about in, in the 30s, depending on when 20. men and women, right? So, um, you know, we're not like 97% of Americans aren't even getting that, right? So,
0: And that amount is to just prevent chronic disease. We're saying let's eat 25 to 30 grams a day. So you're not diabetic. You don't have high cholesterol. You don't have high blood pressure. That's not for you to thrive. That's just so you're not dealing with disease.
3: So, So really then the story of of plants and eating plant foods, what is that doing? I mean, fiber is one of the big, big uh, focuses and pillars of that fiber is not only going to help with stool formation, but now we know it just does all these other amazing things, right? It is is truly, truly an amazing carbohydrate.
0: Mm -hmm. And And if it's something that can help our cells or human cells prevent chronic disease, we are outnumbered, you know a hundred to one or more of microbial DNA to human DNA. We have a hundred trillion gut bugs in our body. And so if we and our human cells are flourishing off of fiber, those gut bugs are also gonna do the same. And so we have found in more and more research those who eat the most fiber, such as, you know, including those in the blue zones um, and elsewhere, but those who are eating the most fiber and nourishing that bacteria, that probiotic bacteria, over a hundred trillion of them in their gut with prebiotic fiber, They're then given these gifts from this fermentation of the fiber when their bacteria are eating this fiber. They're given these postbiotics, and that's helping their heart health. That's helping their blood sugar. That's helping repair their gut lining. That's helping reduce inflammation. And that is just overall supporting their immune system. We know 70 to 85% of our immune cells are rooted in the gut. Um, so there's so, so, so much that our gut microbes, our gut bugs are doing for us, but if we're not feeding them, if 97% of us are not feeding them, then it's pretty common. It will become more and more common, unfortunately, for us to be seeing these gut health issues and these more chronic diseases as well in the population.
3: And then with plants, it's not just, I mean, fiber's is just big, a big one, but then there's the flav- flavonoids, carotenoids, and all these wonderful polyphenols and isoflavonoids. And, and so- Yeah. And then those are creating antioxidant effect because the microbes like to eat those polyphenols, right? It's not us that are just like, oh, humans love polyphenols. It's the microbial ecosystem that loves these polyphenols that are in plant foods, blueberries and strawberries and spinach and kale. And so they're eating these polyphenols. And then they're again, yeah, creating these beautiful gifts from those polyphenols from the fiber. And it's just creating this great synergistic effect in your body. So yeah, the list goes on and on with plant foods, but it's, yeah, yeah it's amazing.
2: Um, so tell me, uh, my wife recently got really sick and for the first time mm-hmm. since like, I've known her, I think like 15 years, Um, maybe there's an exception for pregnancy because I know at least for the first pregnancy when we didn't know enough, they give uh preventative antibiotics, which mm-hmm. I think is just the craziest thing to kill all of your, you know, beneficial microbial activity right before that really important moment um, in in the baby's life, and I think we we didn't allow that for the second two. But with that exception, this was the first time she's been on antibiotics because she had a terrible kidney infection. So I think it was well worth it because uh, it was getting pretty dangerous. Um, but uh, now we were just talking about, you know, how do we kind of rewild her um uh gut but it's more than gut right because like you know uh i'm i'm fairly certain that the two of you taught me that you know that that whole microbiota uh microbiome you're gonna have to distinguish between those two words because i always get them confused like starts in the mouth right and it's on our skin and it's it's our entire body we are we are totally symbiotic with these these bugs um so is it sufficient um, to just focus on a diversity of plant foods and know that, say, if you were on a recent regimen of antibiotics, that over time you will replenish? Um, do you need to take a probiotic? Uh, do you need to eat kimchi three times a day or sauerkraut? So so I, I guess, you know, we, we all, I think, have gotten the foundation of fibers. Fibers are absolutely critical. And so that's the number one thing to focus on whole, uh, preferably I think raw plant foods, maybe you can disentangle that, but, but for those of us who have been on a standard American diet, just came off of antibiotics, or just want to be as uh, proactive in making sure we're, we're, we're supporting um, that biodiversity in our gut and our mouth and everywhere else. Um, what, what are your tips? What actions should my wife take today?
0: That's such a great question. And, you know, I think we have two scenarios that you presented someone super healthy, like your beautiful wife, who came in probably with great gut health and had to take antibiotics. And, you know, we do know, yes, antibiotics have their time and place. It sounds like you all use them with discretion. You knew there was nothing natural that was going to cure this. Antibiotics needed to be used. And that's why they're great. They're life savings. Uh, They're life saving. When we were growing up, you know, 80s and 90s kids, it was like, oh, it's inconvenient for me to miss work today. You have to take antibiotics so you can get back to school. And that's what our parents said. Um, so I think someone like your wife who came in with great gut health, you know, you said she hasn't taken antibiotics for a decade and a half probably, or, you know, very sparingly in that time, she wants to really build back where she was, maybe even a little bit better, but build back where she was. And so if you think antibiotics came in and they mean antibiotics against life, so they wiped out all the bacteria that were in her gut and we wanna refeed the bacteria. If she had pretty good gut health, you wanna get them back. How do we feed these bacteria? We give them prebiotic fiber. So if she's building back up to her 30 plants per week, including fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, grains, and legumes, that's gonna build that back up. And also if we wanna be adding in some some of this active live bacteria, Absolutely. She can go for those four to six servings of probiotic foods per day. So she can get in her miso and her kombucha and she can get in tempeh that's not broiled to death. And like you were saying, sauerkraut and kimchi. And for your wife, that should be great let's present another person who maybe has been taking antibiotics over and over and over the last decade and a half, didn't have the best gut health. Maybe this gave them kind of an even playing field. So they have a chance to maybe build back a little bit better. So that person still wants to try to get to those 30 plants per week. And they also want to get in those four to six servings of probiotic foods per day as well. And that person after they're, they're finished with their course of antibiotics. They might even consider how was my stool before? How's my gut health before? There are certain signs and indicators that somebody probably doesn't have enough healthy bacteria in their gut. If their stool is falling apart, if it's wiping very messy, like peanut butter, if they're constantly seeing mucus in their stool, if they're having abdominal pain, especially lower abdominal pain before, during, or after a bowel movement, Maybe they didn't have enough of that lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, some of the two most common probiotic strains in the colon to begin with, that person might consider, in addition to their fermented foods and their probiotic foods, after they've finished their antibiotics, they could consider, could I use a little bit of a probiotic? Maybe that would be an appropriate case. So it's really assessing where was I before I took these antibiotics? What do I need to build back to? Several years ago, and the guidelines recently changed, they used to say, if you're taking an antibiotic, three hours later, take a probiotic capsule. And that was actually kind of disproven in a really great study that was published in 2019. And in the study that came out of Israel, they took three groups of people. And they gave all of them antibiotics. So they wiped out their bacteria. In one of the groups, they had taken before the antibiotics a fecal sample from each of them because they gave them a fecal microbiome transplant after antibiotics. In another group, they just gave them antibiotics, did nothing. And then in the third group, antibiotics, and then they were given probiotics with the antibiotics as well and they followed these people in their gut microbiome for six months. They took stool samples and they were testing their bacterial diversity. And it was actually the group that was taking probiotics along with their antibiotics that took the longest to repopulate their gut back to where it was. And the theory is we have thousands of strains of different bacteria and other microbes in the gut. And if you're wiping them out, you wanna let them naturally repopulate and naturally rebalance. If you suddenly bring in this hundred billion colony forming unit bomb of three different strains, that could offset the other ones that could cause them to struggle to repopulate. So it's not always beneficial for everybody to be taking a probiotic after you've taken antibiotics. Again, unless you're coming in with severe bacterial debt, that's probably not the route to go. Mm
3: And then to add to that, another prescription is environmental. Is getting in your local environment, right? Is if you have a garden, make sure you're gardening, especially if you've. I mean, this is what everyone should be doing, but especially if you've just gotten off an antibiotic, you want to be gardening. You want to go to the beach or the mountains or wherever your local ecosystem is. And studies are are very clear on that, where we know that they they've uh, done cohort studies where they've taken families and and people, so. Um, What we do know are those you're cohabitating with in your environment will shape your gut microbiome more than your own familial genes. So to say that another way, as if you have roommates, let's say you're in college and you have roommates, your gut microbiome will look more like your roommates than your actual mother and father, brother and sister, because you're not living with them, right? So the environment you're surrounded with is what your gut microbiome will, will mimic. So if you're if you're wondering like, man, when was the last time I went on a hike or stuck my feet in the sand or was breathing wildflowers in the hillside and it's it's been that long, you should probably get out there and do that. If you want to take it a step further, local farmer's market or wild foraging are some prescriptions Um, in terms of building back your gut microbiome. These are things your ancestors were doing not that long ago, right? You were foraging for some food, you were out in the farm, you were in the garden, you weren't cooped up in boxes, right? Your car, your home, and your office and not doing these things. So this is fairly new. And that's why we're seeing the degradation of an ecosystem, which is our inner ecosystem, we're losing that diversity because we're just not plugged in to that environment, right? So that is huge. That could really, really help.
2: Awesome. Um, I have to uh, probe a little bit um, and hopefully not uh, push you guys outside of your your GI expertise, but... Um, when you say your roommates or, or your family, and you know you're going to have a, a microbiome that's closer to them than your, you know, say parents or siblings, right? Um, I'm curious, is that is that causative or or correlated in the sense of like it seems to me that you would be eating the same things as the people in your home, and so there's a correlation. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because you know you're talking about um, foraging, or gardening, or taking a, a walk with you know wildflowers, I'm thinking to myself like, are you actually absorbing uh, from the environment? Like, you when you inhale, you know that uh, that beautiful flower, right? And, and again, like you know, you're getting soil on your skin, and you know certainly most of us are probably wiping our our face every once in a while. So so mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you can kind of expand on. And what because I think it's really, really clear that if you eat kimchi, it makes sense that you are benefiting the bacterial populations in your in your gut. But I think it's gonna be very, very new. I mean, it's certainly a new concept mm-hmm. for me to be thinking about, like, you know, um, yeah, and, and again, but but I can keep going because <laughs> you know, um, kissing my uh, my kids who have not yet learned the social graces of not like giving wet Kisses on the mouth, right? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> yeah it's like this, there's some trading of of of, of bugs. Um, oh, but, yeah. but maybe you can just expand a little bit about what our how much our environment is at play more so than
3: just what we eat. Yeah, I mean, if I had to give a percent, I mean, a, a really good study done was like really it's eight percent from our own genetics, right? So then we'd have to say ninety two percent from the environment, and that is including. I mean, yeah, kisses and your dog and your home and the your backyard and when you go to the beach and so, so all that, what we call collectively the exposome, right? So basically everything you're exposed to goes into that exposome, could be the diesel exhaust from a car or your office mates or whatever the case is, that falls in that 92 plus percent, I'd even say is that exposome, right? And exactly. everything else right? Including the diet, everything else other than your, your genetics, right? What, what you really can't change. But even then, I, I think we'll find that's not always the case because we're finding you can change your genetics. Just as an example, yeah, you're, you're breathing these things in. You're breathing in an insane number of viruses on a daily basis. You're breathing in at least 10 fungal spores um, every time you inhale, right? It's just every time you inhale. It's not a day. That's just with one breath in. And so what is this doing? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think if we if we could see things and it wasn't invisible, it would look like, because I'm a nerd, it would look like the movie Venom, right? Where this like venom suit we're wearing. It's like this this goo is all over us. If we saw all these microbes, it would look like they were just everywhere and all over us. And when we when I touch Dahlia, I'm getting some of her goo onto me. And and even more so when it's your loved one and you're kissing and you're touching and hugging and doing all these things. So It's a constant interaction, right, where we talked about the gut is just one of the microbiomes on your body, right? Your skin, you're constantly touching things. And so this this idea of sterilization, like, sure, we can do that in controlled spaces, spaces, but should we be sterilizing everything? No, because it's a constant interaction, what we should be doing is is looking for quality in terms of what we're eating and what we're around and even who we're around not so to kill all the microbes but to have better quality microbes that we're interacting with on a daily basis so the short answer to that is yes i mean all of the above you're breathing you're touching you're tasting you're smelling you're you're essentially breathing your biome on a daily basis and that is transferring just for example, viruses. Right? When you breathe in a virus, there's something called a bacteriophage. So, the 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 RNA from the virus can interact with your bacterial DNA, and it almost gets an upgrade. So we're finding we get like these software updates from these viruses in our gut, what we call bacteriophages, and then that goes into populations of our gut, and we're going like, whoa, like that's crazy. So yeah it's it's pretty insane Yeah, <laughs> no, what's is. happening to us on a daily basis
2: yeah 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 i think so many people are you know getting obsessed with ai and uh <laughs> don't have an appreciation that like the the same level of complexity and depth is happening right inside of our our gut like you say with just the way this this information right now I've, I've been looking a lot into like the information um what is it called? Uh, uh, David Sinclair just recently published it at Stanford, like information-based aging theory. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, like our cells are, are you know, losing the key information and that's, you know, where, anyway, um, but that, let's get back to <laughs> gut health. Um, it's just so fascinating to, to explore with you. Um, yeah. So Dahlia mentioned four to six servings of probiotics a day um and and again we're not talking about prebiotics like whole foods you you specifically meant like the kimchi sauerkrauts and and uh or or maybe fermented um uh plant-based yogurts and the like um is that the recommendation because i i am woefully under uh getting it so maybe you can just talk about like kind of rules of thumb to make sure that you're maintaining a really diverse um microbiome because uh, I also believe that you say 30 plant foods a week, which, um, you know, may seem overwhelming for folks and until so you start kind of talking through and thinking about different meals. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about sort of the rules of thumb that you uh, uh, try to follow to to maximize your gut health.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, the, and we're always evolving, like this new four to six servings of probiotic foods per day, that came from a couple studies. There was a good meta-analysis that was published on probiotics and eating probiotic and fermented foods as well as an amazing study that came out of Stanford as well. And they did see that those who were consuming these four, in the Stanford study, it was 4.5 servings, I think, per day. And then the other one showed, you know, anywhere from four to six servings per day. They had rich diversity of different types of microbes in their gut. They reduced inflammation and they supported and Um, enhanced their immune system. It triggers certain people when you say boost their immune system, but it enhanced their immune function, which again is rooted in the gut. And so when we're doing this, it really is feeding those microbes. We do know some of these probiotic foods are not only probiotic, they're also prebiotic. They have fiber in them. So if we're talking about things like sauerkraut, kimchi, and tempeh, those do have the prebiotic fiber to feed the probiotics that they also have added to them. So these probiotic foods are different than pickled foods. I think that's where people kind of get confused. They're like, oh yeah, I eat pickles. That's different. When you're pickling something, you're preserving it. You're adding salt. Sometimes people are adding sugar and that is meant for the food not to spoil. When we're talking about fermented and probiotic foods, they've intentionally added different bacterial strains or lactic acid in order to get the bacteria in the food itself fermenting and really then increasing bacterial strains so if your sauerkraut and your kimchi doesn't specifically say lactobacillus bifidobacteria you know different types of strains that were added or lactic acid it probably does not have a rich colonization of those things so you do want to look for those things that have had those things added Um, and then you know if we're talking about other things that have been just aged fermented we do know there are microbes, like James was saying, that live on the plants, that live in the plant DNA. So they will come out and they'll start fermenting things. Again, great example is tempeh. So there's already that bacteria that were in the soybeans and the rice or whatever grain that was utilized in order to make that tempeh. And you want to keep them alive. Because like I mentioned, if you're roasting tempeh at 400 degrees, most of these bacteria don't live above 200 degrees Fahrenheit. So you if you are eating it for these probiotic purposes and protein and fiber, then you probably wanna try to gently steam it, not heat it above that 200 degrees. But if you're adding one of these foods per meal, then you're usually going to hit those four to six servings a day. Maybe you're going double time and you're like, I'm going to add two per meal. That sounds like a lot, but if you have the tools in your pantry, and your refrigerator, it's not that hard. So that could look for us in a day. When I'm making my oats in the morning, I'm adding a scoop of dairy-free yogurt and it has added probiotics in it. So that's one serving right there. When I'm having my lunch, maybe I am having tempeh and I have... Kimchi or sauerkraut or some type of fermented vegetable with it. That's two more. So I'm at three by lunchtime. If I'm having um, a smoothie as a snack, again, I could add a different pourable cashew yogurt, one that has added bacteria. Kefir. Maybe I'm adding a kefir. Maybe I'm having some kombucha along with my protein, fiber, and fat um so maybe there i'm at 4 and then again for dinner maybe i'm making a dressing and i've added miso paste to it miso again is that fermented food maybe i'm having a little bit of miso that i didn't boil to death on the stove but i kind of just combined with some hot water and then i'm drinking some miso i'm at 5 right there and you can kind of keep it going from there and see where else you want to get them in. There are things like dairy-free cheeses, dairy-free cream cheese. A lot of them have added cultures to them. So check out your label and see, is there added bacteria in that? That counts as a serving as well. So many multiple ways that you can be trying to get these different foods in. And I that make could-
2: it sound so easy.
0: <laughs> well it, and it that kind of is our
3: day I mean yeah. but but it's taken I want to say it's taken us yeah. a, a long time to build up to this and make this part of our routine like she does make it sound easy because that's that is kind of like Talia's day she is kind of doing those things but um but yeah but it, it takes time and it starts with like one it, it, pick your favorite right and just kind of go with it and then start adding as as you go
0: and the same goes for eating those 30 plants per week if the plants aren't in your home they're not in your stomach either so it's how are these plants coming into my home? Am I going to the farmer's market? Am I going to my local grocery store? Am I supporting a produce delivery program or a CSA? So I know that they're in my house. They're your roommates. If they're living with you, you're more likely to come into contact with them and include them in your meals. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, this includes fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, grains, legumes, herbs, and spices. So it's like, oh, I bought cilantro at the farmer's market. I don't want it to go bad. Let me sprinkle some on my dinner, my tacos. I could have had the tacos without. That was one more plant point and it's yummy. So great. I'm I'm building up to my 30 right there. A lot of times when I do recommend this activity to my patients and I say, hey, let's try to track how many plants you're eating per week. They come back and they're like, I'm eating 47 per week. I'm amazing. And they get really excited. So yeah. Uh, if somebody is already eating a plant-rich diet, a plant-based diet, they usually are eating diversity. And if you're not, maybe you're like, oh, shoot, I eat six plants per week. I'm I'm doing just tofu, this one grain, This these two vegetables and these two fruits. This is an opportunity and maybe a call to action for this person to say, okay, let me at least switch up my veggies. Let me buy three different veggies next week. Let me buy four different fruits. And maybe some are frozen if I don't want them to go to waste. And I'm going to kind of see what I can get dried and what I can get fresh and put those together.
2: Let me ask you, frozen fruits or vegetables, for that matter, um, do they still have the same bioactivity?
3: Yeah, I mean so there's there's multiple benefits to frozen fruits and vegetables especially if you live in an area where let's say i know we're we're blessed in Cal- southern california like i love our farmer's market like literally we saw family we brought them some farmer's market goodies um the satsuma mandarins and the uh, what are they called golden nugget mandarins are like amazing they taste like candy and they're like where did you get these i'm like the local farmer's market they're grown right here in riverside right or, or somewhere really close by And like these are delicious so so that taste is there. That quality is there, and uh, and you know when when you are exposed to that, it is it is amazing. It, it tastes amazing, and it and it's delicious. But
0: but not everyone right. lives in Southern California, right? So
3: so where I was going with that is, you know, we have family in Virginia, where it's like great. I don't have that farmers market right here so that's where frozen comes in because it's flash frozen right so where if they are picking that in mexico or somewhere in california they're flash freezing it and freezing it does keep that that nutrient capacity it does keep all these wonderful benefits of that fruit and then they can ship it to let's say the east coast or or hopefully it's not like Ecuador. I mean, it's it's okay if it is, but if it has to then ship all the way back up to the United States, okay. But um, yeah, that's where the benefit of, fr- of freezing is. And then there's another benefit as well.
0: And, you know, not all of the bacteria and microbes are going to survive. Some of them are temperature sensitive, so yeah. they might not have the same activity, but some not some will actually survive being frozen and then thawed or frozen and then eating eaten so the, you are still definitely getting the prebiotics the fiber doesn't go anywhere when we're freezing things and neither do the antioxidants some of the bacteria might change a little bit but a lot of it will be retained so still huge benefit if somebody doesn't have access to fresh or if it's just more cost effective to buy frozen yeah. still amazing incredible benefit to buy frozen fruits and vegetables.
2: Um, let me ask you another, uh, probably nerdy question. Um, but we know that certain vitamins and minerals, um, are absorbed when consumed with a complementary set of Mm -hmm. nutrients, no pun intended. Um, so like fats and, uh, you know, omega threes, right. Um, is there anything to that, uh, um, uh, you know, in the same way, are there ways for us to optimize the absorption of, uh, and it's not even absorption, the, 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 you know, kind of the the taking root of these, um, microbial populations is, is, you know, for instance, you mentioned don't boil your miso, right? That makes sense. It's, it's a live culture. So like, you know, high heat, we all know boiling water can sanitize things. So, um, You know, or for instance, I'm thinking to myself like four to six servings. So if I put miso paste and kimchi in my smoothie, then I can probably knock out like three or four all at once. But maybe you'd tell me like, no, you really want to spread those servings out um, throughout the day, which is probably the case. But um, what what kind of hacks are there? What kind of, you know, uh, tricks uh, should we be mindful of to make sure we're getting the most out of the those servings of probiotics?
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good question. So, you know, if that works for someone and they're like, I want to put four servings in my smoothie, I love it. Go for it. <laughs> if that's what works best for you, do it. You're getting them in and you that, that works. You get the points for it. Um, I think one thing to consider as far as I don't know if they're, I think that's a great question. I'm going to research that, man, because I love that you're asking this. However, what comes to mind is we also want to make sure not only that we're intaking these healthy strains, but that these inflammatory strains don't get out of control. And so in the spirit of that you wanna make sure that you are optimizing your output of digestive juices that really do keep some of these more inflammatory strains under wraps. So you wanna think your stomach acid and your bile. So of course our stomach is making our stomach acid and our liver is making something called bile. It's a digestive juice that our gallbladder holds and it squeezes it into your small intestine. And we've heard of bile helping to help us digest fat. But bile is so important, I feel like bile is so underrated, and if somebody (laughs) is struggling with their gallbladder, please don't let your care team remove it unless you're in dire need, Um, because your your gallbladder is so, so, so important in regulating how much bile is going to make its way into your small intestine. Sure, your liver will still make it, but keep your gallbladder if you can. Bile, yes, helps you digest fat. And it activates a hormone in the small intestine called motilin to help with motility. So, if somebody is constipated, those are things I'm always looking at. Do you have enough stomach acid? Are you producing enough bile as well? And bile, just like stomach acid, because it's acidic, bile is antimicrobial. So bile specifically keeps yeast and the type of bacteria that is sulfur reducing, that makes a gas called hydrogen sulfide that causes, Mm -hmm. you know, stinky rotten egg smelling flatulence and stool, um, bile can help keep those under, under check. So if you really want to make sure that you have a good balance, you say, okay, I'm making my smoothie. I put my four servings of good guys in there and anti-inflammatory bacteria in there and other microbes. Let me make sure the inflammatory guys aren't then still causing me symptoms. So optimize stomach acid, optimized bile, bitter foods are my favorite way to do that. So we know certain bitter foods, think arugula, dandelion root, you have your root vegetables like radishes and turnips. Um, You have things like vinegars. Apple cider vinegar is amazing in that. Other bitter properties like mustard and green tea, even coffee can help with that. But those bitters help to stimulate output of bile from your gallbladder. And bitters can also just help to acidify your stomach acid as well. So you hear about people doing things like lemon water in the morning and, you know, apple cider vinegar shots. And I think a lot of people don't understand the intention behind that. I think some chalk it up to like woo woo, that's just kind of a fad. Um, but you know there is slight science to back that where again, the, the lemon is very acidic. So it just helps to add to that acidification of the gut, of the stomach, of the bile, and then you have better balance. So you are in what's called eubiosis, microbial balance, rather than dysbiosis, where there's a big gap between who's causing inflammation and who's trying to turn off and reduce some of that
3: inflammation and i have to go to the environmental side really quickly because the are glucosinolates so these are these are compounds in food that are responsible for this bitterness so we used to broccoli used to be really bitter and kale used to be really really bitter and a lot of these bitter foods like Dahlia mentioned really bitter and it's and it's partially because of this molecule we are selectively breeding out this molecule of our food system right we want foods that taste sweeter not more bitter and sour. So over the decades and decades and decades, and even there's, I mean, there's massive incentive for farmers, like now there's cotton candy grapes, right? Farmers don't just happen upon a cotton candy grape vine, right? They, they are selectively breeding and a lot of times using questionable practices to get what they call like a jackpot crop. Because when you do find this grape that tastes like cotton candy, you can start I mean, growing it like crazy, selling it for a premium, and and you also can get a patent on that plant. And the farmers set, I mean, the farmers like hit the jackpot, right? So we are we are not just incentivizing that, we're incentivizing, you know, crops that can be shipped for longer times, can be picked earlier, and again, can still retain that sweetness and not that bitterness while losing that wisdom and consciousness of going, the bitterness is there for a reason. The bitterness is what our gut and our, a lot of our beneficial microbes like to snack and eat on and, and then create these postbiotics that help with motility. And I can continue and nerd, nerd out. But, but so I wanna give that context. And really we take, we take environmental practices like permaculture and farming, and it can be taken into like our nutrition and lifestyle practices. For example, there is a a, a lesson and a a law in permaculture where when you start a permaculture garden, it takes seven years for the ecology to balance out and find that eubiosis. It takes a lot of time because you may be the most regenerative, healthy farmer on the planet and you go, I'm going to grow these heirloom carrots. And then all the squirrels and birds and rats eat all the carrots, right? You're like, oh my gosh, like, how, what do I do with all these rats and birds and squirrels? Well, it's going to take time as you're starting your garden, you start to then bring the reptiles in that eat the insects and the rats, and then the raptors that eat the reptiles. And you slowly find this balance over time as you're shaping this ecology. And the same is true for your gut, right? You might be new to this and going, oh, I don't feel good. All the all the rats are eating All the lactobacillus I'm putting in there, it's going to take time for your body to recognize, oh, you're making changes. I'm going to make changes. Luckily, it's not seven years for most people. Your body's very, very um, proficient and adaptable in this. That's why our tagline is heal with each meal. With every meal, you can elicit this beneficial effect and start to reshape your gut microbiome. So, yeah, I know that's.
0: Eat those a lot food, there, but yeah.
3: Those ones that James always says, like this, tastes medicinal. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> my, ooh, medicinal, <laughs> medicinal, and aromatic are like when a food tastes like that. There's definitely benefit there for sure.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, medicinal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. <laughs> I'm a big. I put apple cider vinegar in my water. Probably not love good it. for my my teeth, but I <laughs> just sip on it. And sometimes my kids come and get it, and I love to let them know, you know that. Yeah. It's it's medicinal. medicinal. It's, it's medicinal. 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 I love it. <laughs> um as we we're running out of time and you've been so generous sharing your your wisdom with us today. Um I'd love to ask you what what is one message that you want folks to to take away from our conversation, or two, since there are two of you and I and I know you kind of speak with one voice and one yeah. mind, but yeah. if, if you each <laughs> want your shot at it, that's cool too. But you know a metaphorical billboard just if they don't remember anything else um aside from aim for 30 you know uh, servings of diverse fruits and vegetables a week and uh, and seeds and legumes and herbs and everything else uh and four to six um uh servings of probiotics that that'll be my parting wisdom <laughs> and I'm gonna go down and make a smoothie with all of the uh the the, the various fermented foods I can find because <laughs> I'm so inspired <laughs> yeah. by this conversation but what what is the one thing uh for folks to walk away with
0: you know I think one thing to really take home is if you're hearing this and you're like I'm doing those things and I still have gut symptoms and I'm really disheartened appreciate the symptoms and really listen to them they can be a blessing of your body just saying hey something's off I need some help. So rather than saying I'm doing all those right things, but I still feel wrong and throwing in the towel, I think lean into them, listen to them, take note of them, try to be keen and really start to kind of identify patterns or reach out to somebody who can help you identify patterns rather than saying, you know, forget it when I was keto or when I didn't eat as much fiber, I wasn't as bloated. I wasn't as constipated rather than saying, when I do the 30 plants per week, when I do the four to six servings of probiotic foods per week, I'm really gassy. I'm really bloated. I'm really this. I'm really that. Ask why. So I just hope that listeners leave with that kind of curiosity about their bodies.
3: And quickly on that, just to to put that analogy, we use the debt analogy. And so it's Mm -hmm. idea that you can be in massive debt and it feels all consuming and you feel like you have this boulder on your back and it's crushing you. Um, don't run away from it, right? The, you you can't you can't continue to run away from the debt, and that's what Dal is saying. Is a lot of what's out there is like run away from fiber, don't eat plants, and so that's like running away from your debt. It's like cutting up the the mail, the letters you're getting. It's changing your phone number so the creditors don't call you, and you're like, ah, oh, I feel so much better. It's like, well, it's it's short term. Feeling better, Right. But then when you go and buy that house, you're not going to feel good when your credit scores is, is in the toilet. And so the idea is don't run from it face your debt head on it's coming up with a budget. It's not saying I'm never going to use money again, just like the same way I'm never going to eat fiber and plants again. It's like no you got to use money but now you have a budget now you're paying off your debt and you can thrive and and be successful right and that's idea with plants is it's this currency of life it's the currency of your gut microbiome and if you use it properly you will thrive and you will find that success or you could run away and and avoid it which one will you pick right one definitely does take more work but in the long run it is sustainable it is this this great answer for sure to heal
0: with each meal
3: yeah
2: heal with each meal that that would be your your billboard um yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, James, Zalia, thank you again so much for, for your time. Of course, for the listeners who want to connect with you, uh, I'm fairly certain just search Married to Health on any of the social platforms. And I believe it's MarriedToHealth.com. I should double check yep. that before. Um, and we hope <laughs> folks will connect with you because you do work with people um, every single day. You guys are in the thick of it—not just posting beautiful recipes and and tips and tricks, but you you are doing this work, and, and folks can reach out to you to connect. So, again, thank you so much for the time this afternoon.